Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. And uh, this episode, we're going to be discussing a new opportunity for flexible packaging and curbside recycling. Today, as ever, I am joined by the host of the show, who's also the managing editor of PKN Packaging News and the publisher as well, and that's Lindy Hewson. Lindy, how are you going today? Hi, Grant. I'm very well today and very pleased to be talking about soft plastics recyclability um, because soft plastics is such a big problem and we need to come up with some solutions. And here is one that we're going to talk about today that's a little bit different. It's brand new. It is called Roll in Recycle, and it is a new system that enables consumers to dispose of monopolymous semi-rigid pouches and bags in the curbside recycling system to be sorted and recycled. So that's soft plastics as you and I know them, Grant. The program requires consumers to roll their packaging and secure it with a specially engineered label before placing it into their co-mingled recycling bin for collection. So this is different. It doesn't mean separate collection. It means it goes into the commingled waste, which makes it really, really easy for the consumer. The label will be affixed to the packaging during the manufacturing process. So the pack will have that label on it as it comes to you as a consumer. Once you've emptied the pack, this is as I understand it, um, you can then roll it up and recycle it by affixing the label. Rolling the material makes it three-dimensional, enabling it to move through the current recycling infrastructure as a rigid plastic plastic container would. So in the same way, for example, as a plastic bottle. To ensure clear communication to customers, relevant information would be placed on the pack in addition to the label to ensure that the process is followed correctly. So that's for the consumer. So that's enough from me because today we've got the people behind this project here to talk to us. Um, We've got Joe Foster and Jessica Ansel from OFPAC. Welcome, Joe and Jess. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the project now, Joe. So can you start telling us, start by telling us exactly how this project came about? No, thank you very much, Lindy. Uh, it came about really because of the big challenge that we're faced with regarding curbside recycling for soft plastics. As you're aware and industry is aware, is that currently at the moment there's no opportunity to recycle soft plastics here in Australia. So we, we took on this project about a year or so ago uh, and trying to tackle the opportunity of turning what would be deemed as waste plastic into something of a value. At the moment, the biggest challenge we've got with soft plastics is that there's no real true value in terms of recyclability. And of course, the challenge of trying to physically recycle that plastic because of the complexity of the different plastic materials that is put together in a lamination structure. So one of the things that you just said there, Joe, just caught my attention, it isn't that there is entirely no recycling opportunity. There is um, the red cycle um, that is already instated in stores where people can take their soft plastics back to store. But the point is that a very, very low percentage of product is actually getting recycled that way. So there's no soft plastics recycling infrastructure in our recycling infrastructure that we know from a curbside point of view. Is that correct? That is correct, Lindy, yes. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to sort of work more towards having an ability to recycle these soft plastics uh, and try and get them back into the into the mainstream in packaging per se. Yeah, and uh, on that point, Lindy, as well, we found it really 
an opportunity when Anthony from Prep Design sort of reached out to packaging companies and we were the one to take this on board. Uh, when he reached out to talk about moving things like stand-up pouches and flat-bottom bags, uh, those more semi-rigid plastics into something like a curbside, uh, it was a great opportunity for us purely because we've struggled in the past to actually get uh, the consumers to understand the difference between, say, a flexible packaging format for food like a stand-up pouch and, uh, I guess, what you'd call um, not the not nice soft plastics, you know, like the plastic bags, the straws. I think there's a big um, habit for a lot of people to generalise plastics and thinking that all soft plastics are bad, whereas we definitely want to reduce those kind of plastics if we don't need them, but plastics for packaging for food have a distinct uh, a distinct purpose and we really yeah we wanted to try and get those kind of formats through something like a curbside recycling instead which is really exciting. So my understanding is that you were very much involved uh, Joe your company as um, in, in developing the material or the monomer material um, and there must be significant challenges with adopting monopolymer recyclable film structures for all products. Can you expand on that? Yes, of course. I think the, the biggest challenge is that uh, with soft plastics and certainly packaging for stand-up pouches or flat-bottom bags, um, the consumer sees and the industry sees the plastic as, as just general type of plastics. But you can understand that each product requires specialized protection. So the balance of the function of the, of the packaging versus the uh, product protection and the type of plastic needed is quite important. So to try and find a monomer plastic or a monomer type of plastic to carry out all those functions was a hard task. So, of course, if you looked at current type of packaging at the moment, when we say soft plastics, we talk about packaging for coffee, package, packaging for muesli and pet food, as an example. Those bags would be made out of mixed plastics. And I'm sure the industry, the consumers wouldn't really understand that. They would just see it as plastic. But taking that soft plastic and trying to take it through a recycling uh, system is very difficult because it's made out of different types of plastic materials. So we had to balance that to try and find a monoplastic that would give the same characteristics and the same performance that you would get out of these mixed type of plastics. So a lot of work has taken place to ensure that the mono type of plastics that we worked on will perform exactly the same way as what a mixed plastic would actually perform in terms of performance for product, shelf life and protection. Yeah, so uh, a big concern with using a monopolymer uh, material for something like a flexible packaging uh, covered not only barrier, like Joe just mentioned, in terms of actually protecting the product from things like moisture, uh, oxygen, and making sure it has shelf life, but also things like rigidity of the of the actual films. Uh, previously, using something like a strict polyethylene, which is a number four, or a polypropylene, which is number five, would actually... Uh, it was quite a soft material, but in nature. So we had to re-engineer those films to try and create uh, a better opportunity for things like stand-up pouches, flat-bottom bags, not only on the side of barrier, but also on the side of actually making sure their physical nature can stand up on the shelf uh, and actually give the properties needed to make those kind of formats. And just to add on to that point, Lindy, I think a very important factor is like talking about re-engineering or going back to basics. We're actually going back to using some of the plastics that have been around for many, many years and talking about comparing that to some of the last uh, advances that have taken place in specialized plastics over the last 15 to 20 years. We've actually reverted back to standard materials like polyethylenes that we would have heard of and polypropylenes that we would have heard of. And there were as Jessica said, we're re-engineering those plastics. We're making those plastics do things that they were not designed to do years ago. 
Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, what, what about cost? Um, surely that could be a bit of a barrier. It's always a challenge when you're looking at packaging. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of brand owners are quite conscious of how much their packaging costs as a whole in terms of their business. Uh, but a lot of them do want more sustainable solutions and better solutions. Previously, something like a recyclable pouch would have been quite, uh, quite a more expensive product to have. You'd probably be looking at sort of even a couple of years ago, uh, it was sort of, you know, between 60 and 70% more expensive per unit. Whereas now that's coming right down. Uh, for some products, we can even get like for like costing by just changing or removing certain uh, polymer types. Uh, for other products, we see sort of, you know, it can be between sort of 10 and 30% of an increase in price, but it is coming down with as more people adopt those kind of films. And I truly believe it's it's about scalability. I mean, if one looks at packaging materials like polyester materials and polypropylene materials in general, th these these films are made on a wide scale basis. Big volumes produce like five or six tons of materials on a on an early basis. The type of materials that we're talking about are produced on much smaller scale. So once we actually up up the production and up the scale of the manufacturing process of these materials, we will see the pricing leveling out. And I think it's a good start, and we're heading in the right journey to bring the pricing very close to what it should be in the marketplace, no doubt about that. So we've covered off the material re-engineering and, and the cost and the price coming down. What about the challenge of the current uh, mechanical, physical recycling infrastructure and how that can handle flexible soft plastics? Yeah, I think at the moment, if you spoke to any of the mechanical recycling facilities in Australia, they would say they don't accept soft plastics because it contaminates the paper stream. We all we all know that. And of course, that was the, the, the one exciting uh, trial that we conducted or set of trials that we conducted back in June this year, where we actually uh, where we, we went through a stage where we identified different size packaging materials made from the same polymer. We rolled up thousands of packets. It went through the process of uh, the recycling process in Sydney. Uh, these went into the actual MRF. They went on the conveyor. And they were separated through the mechanical process uh, exactly the same way as what semi-rigid or rigid would have would have been through on the same number, the same percentage, and the same outputs. So we are happy to get that that trial conducted, and and certainly very keen to take it to the next level. And the next level was obviously uh, taking that plastic that was separated and see what happened at the uh, the plastic recycling facility, which also uh, showed the uh, process to be positive by being able to turn that back into a usable plastic. Yeah, I think a lot of our um, customer base were unaware of exactly how the mechanical recycling facilities work um, and how they are very much based on the physical characteristics of a product going through all of the different conveyors. And then sort of when we explain about typically flexible plastics are seen as paper because they're the same sort of two-dimensional formats, they're lightweight. With how the process works, it actually separates plastics into the paper stream and contaminates it, whereas, as Joe's mentioned, through this roll and recycle process, we're creating more of a three-dimensional object. We're increasing uh, the density of that product, and then it's going through those mechanical processes, the existing ones that are there today, in the same way as a squash bottle would or any other kind of rigid plastic wood, which is really exciting. And I think there's no doubt about it. There's going to be pushback from the recycling industry, of course. I mean, we need to start somewhere. And, uh, and the nice thing about it was that following the success of the trials that we've engaged with a number of customers who are very keen to take this step. So from our point of view, you've got to start somewhere. You've got to really push the boundaries in terms of doing something different. This is very innovative from our point of view. We know it works. Thank goodness we did the trials and the success is all there. 
So the good thing from our perspective is that we've engaged with customers within the food industry who uh, who want to take it to the next level. And that is actually rolling out a soft launch within the next couple of weeks or a month. And, uh, and we start to see the product going into the MRFs. We will engage with the MRFs, no doubt about it, explain what the process is and, uh, and, and start measuring the success rate success rate and hopefully over the period of the next six months or so we'll have more and more clients who actually want to engage in this process where we can actually see curbside recycling for soft plastics a reality into the future so i have a question i have my muesli bag and that would be something that could potentially go into roll and recycle but it could also be something that goes into red cycle so do you see the two systems operating as complementary to each other Yeah, definitely. So we're not here to sort of say that it's one or the other. We do believe that there are definitely products out there because of the challenges we still have with adopting monopolymer materials for all product uh, needs and requirements. There are still going to be plenty of products that need to have multi-laminates and those products would definitely need somewhere to be still recycled rather than going to landfill. So that would be where the Red Cycle program will really shine in helping be complementary to separating out the monopolymer 100% pouches, which we can then separate out of that mixed plastic feedstock while we still need those other mixed plastics to be collected somehow and to also go back into other products. So let's take the example of this bag and let's say it is a it's, it's a roll and recycle um, bat friendly bag. Would that also have the option of going to red cycle? Would it contain the same Australian recycling label that it currently does? Or would there be, so would there be conflicting messages? How are you going to clarify this for the consumer? Well, we're hoping to get the ARL or the Australian Australasian Recycling Label to include a roll and recycle option, which would be still a household curbside option. So similar to the way you've got your recycling label with return to store written underneath, we're looking to uh, um, apply to the TAC uh, for the ARL to get a ARL for roll and recycle, which would be a roll and recycle option. So it could still go into red cycle. Anything that can go through the roll and recycle program is specified to definitely go through red cycle. So if it did happen to go that way, it's not the end of the world. The only issue would be if it goes the other way. So not all red cycle bags would be ideal for the roll and recycle program. So that labeling consistency is really important. And have you engaged with um, the Australasian recycling label uh, people, uh, the APCO and, and so on? Have you engaged with them? Yes, we have. And in fact, uh, also through Prep Design, uh, the people who have been involved with rolling recycle right from the start uh, is very involved in this process at the moment. And uh, we're quite excited that uh, hopefully sooner than later, we'll have some uh, some positive engagement and, uh, and move towards being able to have an identification label on the packaging into the future. I think just to add on a point that Jessica made is that it's very, very important. And using your muesli packet as an example, there's no problem if that if that muesli packet was rolled and recycled and it went through rolled and recycled and also went into return to store through red cycle. But very important, if, if that was only red cycle and not rolled and recycled, there's no way that should really go into the recycling bin because it's made out of it's made out of different plastics. And the sad part about it is that, you know, we have a degree of understanding about these different types of plastic materials and what needs to be used and what can be physically recycled. The sad reality is that when you look at consumers, you look at their recycling bins and look at what the quality of the recycled product they're putting in there, they're still putting in the wrong product. So I still believe ultimately it's up to us as as, as industry, as educators to explain to the consumer that there is actually there is a, a life after the packet that you're actually currently using it. But you do need to engage with the packet by by doing something to it, either return it to store 
or actually roll it and recycle it in the curbside recycling bin. So we've obviously um, had a lot of different communication messages about recycling over the last, you know, couple of decades. Uh, you see a lot of different labels, a lot of different icons, uh, a lot of different numbers. So that's why with the ARL, we're very keen to align ourselves with the ARL as a consistent message and a consistent label across the board, because we do believe that once all of those other confusing messages and confusing icons are gone and it's just the ARL that can be put on all packaging in Australia, then that education process becomes a thousand times simpler and people will be aware of what to look out for, what is recyclable, and then you'll get much more participation and much more understanding. But like Joe said, us as an industry need to educate, uh, the government needs to educate, and even from the ground up in terms of schools community programs it's all about education and even just trying to get some of those councils across the board to be on the same page would really help a lot in terms of getting recycling to a point where you're not getting non-recyclable products through that system i agree that uh, certainly i agree that education of young people educating children because children have a go at adults and children are amazing drivers of change that is for sure. Right. So now we've got to the point where it's going into the recycling and it's going off to the MRF and that's fantastic. But now we, we've got a, a bunch of material. So <laughs> we have to have an end use for that material. What, what about the buyback of recyclable materials at the end of life? And I think that's the, uh, the, the biggest challenge that has been around for quite some time. If you consider paper, if you consider cartons and corrugated board as an example, there's an existing market there already for, for buyback, particularly industrial waste and, and to a large degree now uh, commercial waste as well and commercial household waste but there is obviously uh, industries actually looking at buying back plastics in, in higher volumes at this particular moment and uh, and it's up to us as industry to try and encourage the use of these recycled plastics within our industry and flexible packaging industry we're now starting to look at recycle uh, including recycled content in some of our packaging particularly for non-food applications and, and certainly where packaging is not the primary packaging, we're starting to introduce recycled polyethylene materials, recycled polypropylene materials within the certain layers that doesn't have that direct food contact. So, yeah, there's, there is some options, but we do need to work with industry to ensure that there's a definite buyback of this recycled plastic. Because no point having something that's recyclable, as you say, if there's no market for it and there's no value to it at the end of the day. And with the roll and recycle trials that we did, we did have uh, not only the plastic recycling facilities as well, which is kind of the next step after the like the manual recycling facility, uh, but also end users of recycled content. So there was companies involved that use recycled plastics and they deemed there would definitely be a market for those monopolymer flexible plastics if they can be separated out of those complex laminates and stop that contamination. So by getting better feedstock and 100% polyelephant feedstock, it's creating a lot more opportunity to reuse that material in a lot more uh, applications like packaging, like Joe mentioned, or even in just in other percentages in applications. So currently, for instance, uh, companies like Replus in Melbourne who make products out of recycled plastic from the Red Cycle program, they can only use about 15% of soft plastic recyclables in a mix when they're making products. The other sort of bulk of the products, 80 to 85%, have to become from rigid plastics because otherwise it's too unstable. So we're hoping that by making a complete 100% polyelephant mix of soft plastics, it's creating a lot more opportunities for that end use. Yeah, that, that is for sure. I think the primary objective really is to get the recycled plastic back into the packaging industry. 
There's no doubt about it. That's our main goal in this in this whole project. And and again, what Jessica said is very, very true. It's about quality feedstock. And it's a great word, quality feedstock, by being able to identify that, hey, we've actually got polyethylene material. So we can actually, that can go into this particular area. Hey, we've actually got polypropylene material that can go into that area as opposed to, an, as I call it, quite simply, a mishmash of all these different types of plastics. So therefore, by being able to identify a product and now all of a sudden the pouch has got a value because no longer is this seen in the old number scale of a number seven of mixed plastics. It's actually got a value as a number four or a number five in terms of being able to use it afterwards because we know that's we've clearly identified it as polyethylene or we've clearly identified as polypropylene. And there's still going to be challenges in regards to things like inks and adhesives, the the fact that the packaging is printed uh, as a opposed to something like, you know, your rigid PET bottles that are all kind of labelled. Um, you see the reason that a lot of companies have actually shifted just to clear PET bottles. They're trying to ditch the coloured PET bottles for the reason of being able to recycle them and reuse them. So it's a lot easier for rigid formats like that. Uh, coloured plastics are always a concern when it comes to reuse and recyclability for packaging. Uh, but that's why you see a lot of success with the PET bottles because a lot of them are clear and it makes it a lot easier and they're not printed, whereas that is another challenge that we do have with things like pouches that are printed. Uh, and to minimise the amount of contamination, we definitely need to get those polyelephants away from other plastic types like polyesters, PVDCs, uh, yeah, everything else that you can possibly imagine, metallized films and aluminiums as well. So it's a, it's a challenge, but it's something that's it's at least it's a step in the right direction. Well, we'll come back then to that point about education because that's what it's all going to boil down to. The success, the success of this is going to hinge on proper education. And you you alluded to government support earlier. What What is your view um, on how much support government should be giving this kind of initiative? Well, we've already engaged with, with government on, uh, on this project. And, um, you know, again, we need government to actually push the issue on, on, on the industry's behalf and educate the consumer, let them know that there is choices because at the moment there's no real choice out there. But we really need the government to engage a lot more with industry to help to get the message from the industry across to the to the actual consumer. Yeah, and even with uh, not just like federal government or state government, but there's also just in terms of community groups and bodies that really need to be involved. But sustainability is such a topic now that, I think everyone is really eager to be involved in any way possible. And even looking at the government with all the funding that's coming through for improving our infrastructure for waste, uh, you know, meeting those 2025 targets, they're really putting some commitments down uh, finally after so long to actually tackle this problem. So I think with that comes a lot of other opportunities to really uh, integrate a lot of different avenues for our waste stream. So it's not just going to be a one solution fits all. Uh, there's never going to be one one packaging type or one material that will fit all applications. So it's about finding a range of different uh, products or different materials, different packaging structures, and then looking at how, what infrastructure we need to support that. So it won't be, a, sadly, it won't be as easy as it is just, you know, X equals Y, but we can at least start looking at some options and solutions and start getting everyone on board with, if it's this type of product, this is what we should do with it. And then just to, to say again on education, of course, the one big part of education is, is not just on the recycling side, is to try and explain and get the message across to, to the world and the consumers that the whole negativity around plastics. I mean, we do need plastics to survive, you know, in terms of the food industry, as an example, we need to keep our product fresh. We need to protect the product. We need to ensure 
that there's no issue regarding food safety. And packaging and plastics plays a very, very important role. Unfortunately, the consumer just sees it as a piece of plastic and they, they, you know, they don't see any real true value to it because it's, it's just only a piece of plastic that ends up in the, in the garbage can. So from an education point of view, I do think that we need to sometimes go back to basics to let people understand there's a real reason why your products are actually packed in this, in this particular type of plastic. And these are the choices that we've got when it comes to a recycling perspective. But we do need help from the government. We do need to sort of have the government understand and accept that there's a, there's a basic message that we need to get out to the consumers regarding plastics per se and regarding the choices that people have got. Yeah, so from our perspective, it's sort of educating on not just consumer behaviour and waste behaviours, but also on plastic itself um, and materials and looking at viable solutions for sustainability because uh, plastic isn't an enemy. It's actually a, a resource that we should be using better. Uh, there's no reason we should be burying things in landfill at all. Uh, it's quite a funny concept when you really think about it uh, and there's a lot of technology that's out now that's you know in terms of actually getting that waste back from landfill and turning it into re second life resources which isn't the best option but for what is there and what's available it is the best option for things that have already gone to landfill so uh, there are lots of different second life energy options for plastics but yeah we just want a bit more of a respect for what plastic is and what it does uh, it's not ideal and we don't want lots of plastic in the environment it definitely shouldn't be there but through educating that and deciding about what materials go in what packaging formats and why they're needed, I think it's it will get us a long way there. And people, because once they respect it a little bit more, they won't see it as something to be simply thrown away and discarded. It's definitely something we should be collecting and reusing. Yeah, so we really need some kind of strong message um, on pack and in general communications that says this is a valuable resource. Don't throw it into landfill. We can use this again kind of thing. So... Um, to bring this uh, to its conclusion, then I'd like to know what the next steps are in this in this project's life. Okay, the next steps um, from from the air perspective is that we'll roll this out across uh, initially uh, six or seven different customers. Uh, we'll measure the progress. We'll engage with uh, we'll engage with industry. We'll certainly engage with the various different mechanical recycling facilities around the country. We want to uh, obviously give the progress reports back to the government. Uh, and we really want to encourage industry. It's not just about OFPAC uh, pushing us out to the market. We want to encourage other manufacturing companies and other food companies and other, other manufacturing of product companies to, to engage with the options that are, uh, that are available regarding uh, mono soft plastics that are curbside recycling. The more people we get involved with it, the better it's going to be for the industry from a recycling point of view. And if we don't, um, if we don't do it, I think sooner than later, I think we're just going to be pushing the inevitable out for far too long, and we won't be getting anywhere near the targets that we want to achieve by 2025. We're sort of jump-starting it. That's really what we need to do. And somebody needs to be a bit of a leader, or somebody needs to take the initiative, should I say, really in the market, saying let's just get get this get it out there, push. We need as much help as possible. But industry, our competitors, manufacturers all need to be involved in this process and buy into it. So we're really forcing, forcing change. I agree. And on that note as well, you know, flexible packaging is here to stay. We can't, you know, people aren't going to go buy their potato chips in a glass jar. It's just not viable to be using rigid containers for everything or going back to the days of aluminium and glass everywhere. Uh, it's a nice idea, but it just doesn't work for a lot of the products that we have in the modern world and a lot of our modern requirements. So it's about finding new ideas for modern problems uh, rather than trying to rely on old solutions 
And things like roll and recycle have an opportunity to expand beyond just a simple roll and recycle a certain type of pouch. We're hoping after those initial sort of soft launches gone into the market, uh, we get some more data and some more testing. We're hoping that eventually there'll be lots of different ways you can roll and recycle, whether you can fold roll and recycle larger bags, larger format bags, uh, whether you can stack roll and recycle for certain small convenience products. There's a there's a whole, I guess, a whole branch out of what roll and recycle recycle could actually do for a lot of different packaging formats but this is just the starting point of what we found this to be a good place to begin and what we're hoping is that once the message gets out there that consumers will take ownership for recycling of soft plastics people will want to engage because they really want to see a change taking place that's really what we're hoping to achieve at the end of the day that we together as an industry all of us as consumers as manufacturers are actually making a difference Well, thank you so much for joining us um, today, for leading the way and for taking the initiative. And this is, we need more of this in our industry. And I really admire and respect what you are doing. Thank you both. Thanks, Thank Lindy. you for the opportunity. Thanks, ladies and gentlemen. This uh, ends the episode for today. And we hope you've enjoyed this discussion. And we'll be back with more content in the not too distant future. You've been listening to the PKN Podcast. Produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News. Owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.